1: Natasha Crane is a national speaker, author of four books, a blogger and a podcaster, who is passionate about equipping Christians to think more clearly about holding on to a biblical worldview, amid the increasing challenging secular culture. She has been featured on radio and TV shows across the U.S. and Canada, and lives in Southern California with her husband and three children. And Natasha is one of my favorite authors. When it comes to apologetics, she is the one you need to get her books, and I'm so excited to bring her on the show today for you all to hear what she has to share. Welcome, Natasha.
0: Thank you so much. It's great to talk with you. Yes, thank you. And would you please
1: tell us a little bit about yourself and what motivated you to write your very informative, comprehensive apologetic books?
0: Yeah, so I'm a mom of three kids. I have seventh grade twins and a fifth grader. And I homeschool my twins. My fifth grader goes to a private Christian school. So we have a couple of different educational things going on in the house. And this whole apologetics journey for me started over a decade ago now when I began a blog that I called at the time Christian Mom Thoughts. And I had three kids, three and under at the time. And I was just feeling like I needed some kind of additional outlet. I felt a little bit isolated because it's hard to go places when you have little kids, as a lot of moms know. So I thought, you know, I'll start a blog. Everybody else is starting a blog at the time. And I thought this would be a great place to have community and find other bloggers and exchange ideas of how we were going to raise our kids to know and love the Lord. So as I started to blog and just share things about devotions we were doing, songs we were singing, the things that you do with very young kids at the time, I suddenly started getting a lot of skeptics who were coming to my website and they were leaving all kinds of comments challenging Christianity. And I wasn't doing anything to encourage this kind of dialogue because frankly, even though I was a lifelong Christian, I had no idea how to answer their questions. So I certainly was not out there fishing for debates and things like that, but somehow they had started to find my site, So they were leaving comments like there's no evidence for the existence of God. The Bible is filled with errors and contradictions. Science has disproven God. Uh, Jesus didn't even exist as a person in history. The list went on and on. And even though I had grown up in a Christian family, grown up in the church, I just never had heard a lot of these things. And I had no idea how to answer them. And so I started looking for answers to those questions. And that's when I discovered apologetics, which is how you make a case for and defend the truth of Christianity. And I just got so excited. The more that I read, the more I learned about how much evidence there was for our faith. And I just really hadn't given it consideration before. And so as I was doing that and going just into this intense reading journey, I was turning around on my blog and taking what I was learning and saying, hey, parents, here's what you need to know. These are questions that people are asking. These are challenges that the world will throw at our kids. And here's what you need to know in terms of how we respond. And my blog just really took off after that. And I realized that there are a lot of parents who needed this kind of information. And eventually a publisher came to me and said, hey, what if you take a collection of these questions and just give parents easy to understand answers that they can talk about with their kids? And that's what my first book became, Keeping Your Kids on God's Side, 40 Conversations to help them build a lasting faith. And so I just go through 40 of the most important faith challenges, a broad apologetics 101 for Christian parents. To equip the parents, I'm always asked, well, what's the age range for the kids? Okay. It's not about the kids. It's to equip you as a parent because you can't teach your kids what you don't understand yet, but it's easy to understand four to five page chapters that then once the parent gets the information, then over time, you can tailor that to your kid's understanding. So that was my first book. And then after that, people said, well, I want to learn more. How do I find more of the easy to understand kinds of stuff that's targeted toward parents? So that's how my next two books came about. Talking with your kids about God goes into 30 conversations, specifically at the God level. How do we know God exists? Those kinds of questions. And then finally, talking with your kids about Jesus talks about the identity of Jesus and the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, all the Jesus level questions. So that's a long answer to that question, but there is kind of a whole backstory there of how this came about. I did not set out to be a writer or speaker, but God really brought, brought me on this journey.
1: Well, we are so happy that God has brought you on that journey. And there's so much material to cover. In your book, Keeping Your Kids on God's Side, you talk about 10 tips for having deeper faith conversations with your kids. Can you share some of those tips?
0: Sure. So that actually, that comes at the end of those 40 conversations that I was just talking about. This is kind of the conclusion to the book where I'm giving some broad principles for talking with your kids. I uh, just to, uh, highlight a couple of those. I think the first one that's really important is equipping yourself. So just like I said a moment ago, you cannot, you cannot teach your kids what you don't know. And one of the most common questions that I get from parents is, okay, this sounds really important. I need to understand apologetics. I need my kids to, what book do I give my kids? Everyone wants to give their kids a book to learn from. And there actually are some great books out there for kids, but those are one-time learning opportunities as opposed to you, the parent, understanding this kind of information when you're the one who understands this becomes a lifelong pattern. This is how you engage with your kids on an everyday basis and just weave these conversations into your daily life. So that's my first and biggest tip for everyone always is realize you need to equip yourself. And there are so many ways to do that, whether it's my books or other apologetics books out there. There are lots of podcasts and YouTube videos. There's just, there's so much out there. There's really no excuse today for not getting equipped yourself with this knowledge. The, The second thing I would say that maybe a lot of parents don't think about is that you're not just waiting for your kids' questions. We're not Q&A machines. We need to be the ones who understand the questions that will challenge our kids so that we can proactively put the questions in front of them. In other words, we're not just waiting to see, well, I hope I'm equipped enough so that if little Mary comes and wants to ask me about the nature of the Trinity, then I'll know how to answer. No, we need to know, okay, here's what skeptics are going to say. They're going to say there's no evidence for God's existence. They're going to say the Bible is filled with errors and contradictions. They're going to say all these other things. I need to put that in front of little Mary and say, this is what people are saying. You need to know this and let's talk about what some answers are. So make sure you understand the questions. And that's really a big goal of mine throughout the three apologetics books that I've written for parents cover a hundred different questions to give you a really good idea of the kinds of things that your kids are going to hear. Another thing is to get your kids proactively to ask you questions. So I'm not saying never take their questions. I'm saying that you need to pull those out in addition to putting ones in front of them. And a really easy way to do this is to have what I call a questions night. And we especially love doing this when the kids were younger, getting them together and say, okay, tonight is just a questions night. We're not gonna talk about anything. We're not gonna teach you a Bible lesson. We're not reading from the Bible, nothing like that. We just wanna know, When you think about God, when you think about the Bible, Christianity, whatever stuff you hear in Sunday school, what questions come to mind? What are things you've thought of? And if you wait a little bit, you will get questions almost always. And I've challenged my my readers on Facebook to do this with their kids before a few times. And it's always interesting because when they go out to their kids, the number one question that comes back across all age groups is, how do I know God is actually there? parents are always so surprised by this because they're just assuming their kids believe in God. And, you know, we're talking about Moses and Daniel and Joseph and all these different accounts in the Bible, but their kids are all the way back at the level of, but I can't see God. I can't touch him. How do I know he's there? And then parents start to realize, I am not equipped for this question because <laughs> how do I explain this to my kids? I can tell them my experience, my testimony, but how, how do I explain this? So I think that that really does bring out a lot when you have questions nights like that. Like I said, there are 10 tips all together in that last part. But the last thing I would say is to be sure you're teaching your kids about other worldviews as well. So, so important. It's, so it important. is so important because it's one thing to teach your kids about Christianity. And of course that's critical and why there's good reason to believe Christianity is true, your basic apologetics. But if they don't understand what other people believe and where they're coming from and the nature of these other worldviews, then they're going to have trouble identifying what those are and the types of challenges that are coming. So that's just so important. And that's really where my most recent book differs from the earlier ones. Those three apologetics books I've been talking about, those are answering challenges specifically, but faithfully different my most recent book, that's really about a biblical worldview versus secularism. The dominant worldview around us is the secular worldview where everything comes down to the authority of the self. And when you start to understand that this is the predominant worldview we're surrounded by, then you can start to see clearly all the different ideas that we're hearing and to separate them from what we believe as Christians. So when uh, so many parents have said to me over time, I just want to teach my kids truth. I don't want to have to talk about all these other beliefs. I don't want to talk about other religions or secular worldviews, all that stuff. I'm teaching my kids the Bible. And I say, yes, yes, absolutely. We have to teach our kids truth, but they also need to understand what they're surrounded by because a lot of that sounds good and it will creep in to their worldview when they haven't been taught to recognize it. Simple things like follow your heart. Well, that might not seem like anything big, but once you start to understand the nature of secularism, authority of the self, I'm the expert on me, you start to realize that's not consistent with a biblical worldview. So we really want our kids to understand what surrounds them, not just the truth itself. Absolutely. And
1: as far as other religions, it helps children to understand what makes sense, what religion makes sense, which one is workable, is livable is, you know, vital for living in a world where you can love others and accept others. It's just so important to know other worldviews. And they, they learn that it's not anything you can do. Secular humanism is taking over
0: the world, right? That's a really good point, too, about wh- when you see other worldviews and you understand them, it helps kids to more clearly see how Christianity is true. It's not just studying them for some kind of intellectual exercise. It will show them very clearly why Christianity is the best explanation of reality. When you start to look at other religions and you say, okay, well, what's the evidence for the truth of those religions? You see, it just does not add up in the same way that it does for Christianity. And not only does it show Christianity to be true in that way, but also it shows how beautiful it is and how different it is from the nature of a lot of other religions. So that study of other worldviews can really make a difference in how your kids see the truth and beauty of Christianity.
1: Yes, I couldn't agree with you more. We need to have our children understand other religions and other worldviews so that they can see how right and how correct the Christian worldview is and the biblical worldview is. It's just so important. Talking about Christianity being true, in chapter 7 in your book, talking with your kids about God, you, you titled a chapter, Can Science Prove or Disprove God's Existence? Could you share
0: some thoughts about that chapter with us, please? Sure. So that's a really big question. So I'll try to address it as (laughs) succinctly as I can while hitting some of the key points from it. But the first thing to understand is that both skeptics and Christians use this terminology too loosely when we're talking about proving and disproving. So from a scientific perspective, Scientists don't really talk in terms of this proof. So in science, it's looking at the evidence in the natural world. That's how that's how we are defining science is the the methodology of investigating nature. Right. So what scientists are ultimately looking for is where is the weight of evidence? When we talk about proofs, we're talking about things like the laws of logic and mathematics. So sometimes. Christians will say, oh, well, science proves God exists, God's existence. And sometimes atheists will say, science disproves God's existence. Well, science itself is not proving or disproving anything. And sometimes that's just used in a colloquial way, but it really is misleading because I see so many Christians talking about this proof, and, and that's really not what science does. So if we want to get into that a little bit further, when you look at it and you say, okay, well, what about evidence then? So we have to understand the nature of science, which I just talked about, that it's investigating a natural world. Well, God is outside of nature. God is a supernatural being beyond nature. So strictly speaking, no, there's no way that science is going to investigate God directly because God is not part of the natural world. So we have to be really clear on that. But however, that doesn't mean that we can't infer the existence of God from things in nature. And this is where we get to the objective evidence for God's existence. Now, you know, I mentioned earlier, a lot of parents just go straight to, well, I know God exists because I feel he exists, but our kids don't have your experience. So we need something outside of that to be able to point to you and say, okay, here's something we can all look at. So for example, when we look at the fine tuning of the universe and how everything seems to be just right in order to support the existence of life in the universe broadly, but also on our planet specifically. When we look at those things, we can ask ourselves, is this best explained by chance processes, by necessity, or by the existence of an intelligence that designed things to be this way? When we look at the complexity of DNA and how our bodies function, again, is this chance is the best explanation for this, that there was a chance process, all natural that led to this, or that there is an intelligent agent behind it? These are the kinds of things that we look at for objective evidence. And I talk about that in several chapters in the beginning of that book. So when we're talking about science and we're talking about God, these are the things that are important to consider that we're not proving or disproving. But if we're looking at the natural world, we can infer what the best explanation is. We can infer the existence of this supernatural creator and lawgiver and life designer and world designer.
1: Well, this is wonderful. We are going to have a second part with you because we've got to continue this discussion. And I hope everybody will tune in to hear Natasha with her brilliant wisdom and her God-given talent to explain things very well when it comes to apologetics. And that's how we will all work together to raise strong Christian kids.
0: This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network.